everyone. We want to invite you to our latest deal board podcast, where we're talking about another piece of deal structure, earnouts. Yeah. Why are they good for the buyer? Why are they good for the seller? Do they get paid? How do you structure them? What are the reasons for an earnout? We have all kinds of things to go over. Yeah. And as always, we have two great guests, an expert on both the deal structure side and the legal side of earnout. So tune in and get our latest deal board podcast episode from your podcasting app or at our website, thedealboardpodcast.com. In today's economy, more people than ever are looking to buy and sell businesses. But how do you do it? Welcome to The Deal Board, presented by Transworld Business Advisors. Straight talk about real deals and real people. Listen to stories, interviews, and expert advice to help your business sale, merger, or acquisition process. Now, here are your business exit experts, Andy and Jessica. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to The Deal Board. And we have a great episode today. And it's very timely because this topic, we're seeing a lot of it out there. And it's all because that there's basically risk in the marketplace. The marketplace is hot, but there's risk in the marketplace. And what are we talking about today, Jessica? We are talking about earnouts today. So we're doing earnouts 101. It's a term that gets thrown around a lot in our industry. And we have a lot of buyers asking about it, a lot of sellers asking about it. So Andy and I are going to do a brief overview of what an earnout is, why you would even want to use one. And then we have two great experts on the show today. Um, I interviewed Leanne from our Transworld M&A team. She sees lots of deals with earnouts, and she did a great breakdown of what an earnout is, why would you would use one, why you want it, and really looking forward to that. And Andy, you have a great interview on the legal side. Right. I have Deborah Carmen from Carmen Law, and we've talked to Deborah before. She is the number one attorney down here in South Florida closing deals, but specifically a lot of small deals. And it was interesting to talk to her to talk about some of the earnouts and some of the things that she's seeing even in small deals. And I, again, that's because we see that the marketplace is very fluid right now. Uh, the, the coronavirus goes, it comes, it's spiking, it's not spiking, there's mandates, there's not mandates. All those things can affect the business moving forward. And when people are buying and perhaps paying top dollar, and sellers think they should get that. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, let's, so we'll get to the interviews in a little bit, but let's start with like, let's just lay the groundwork. What is, what is an earnout? So you may have heard some of our shows before, our M&A shows, where we, we dive into the weeds a little bit. But if we just look at the earnout as a basic structure, it's a portion of the purchase price when a business is sold that gets delayed. And it's usually tied to performance. I like to think of it as like a simplistic, if you think about it very simply, it's almost like a commission payment, right? The seller is going to get paid some sort of commission or dollars from future performance of the business. Yeah, it's a promise to pay if something happens. And that, and it's a big if. And the question is, is what do you tie it to? Because right. you want to make sure that it's pretty definable because you don't want any wiggle room on either side. And you don't want to have to do incredible things like audits or try to figure out exactly if they reach the benchmark to pay the earnout. Right. So, and Leanne gets into the, a little bit of that that. that today. But I mean, a, a very simple example is, you know, say the earnout might be tied to revenue and the seller gets a dollar for every hundred dollars of revenue in the future. And it's defined by a time period. That's what we're talking about today. And we'll, and, and like I said, we'll dive in Leanne and Deborah will dive into some of the, the details on it. But the other big question is Andy, we'll, we'll get into buyers a little bit for uh, next, but like, why would a seller want to do an earnout? Well, the seller would want to do an earnout so they could get all the cash that they thought they were going to get, right? So they there's a basic difference in opinion of what the business is worth. And to try to bridge that gap, with they want to have some sort of earnout so they could get maximum value. All right. What you said right now, we kicked off the show of there's just a lot of uncertainty in the world today, right? So you could have, you could be sitting on a business that you think is worth more. But the buyer sees a lot of risk and uncertainty in the current environment. So we've seen a lot of this to solve that valuation gap, right? Between what a business is worth and then, you know, protecting the risks from the buy side. You know, there's also other benefits for seller, right? You can defer taxes, things like that. You're not getting paid all up front. But that's the big one that we're seeing right now is solving that valuation gap. Yeah, I mean, because what would happen 
is that sellers, listen, sellers always have an optimistic view of what's going on. And especially right now, businesses had a tough time in 2020. It's 2021, they're recovering and they might be, you know, I've heard reports. I just had a, a, a pod, not a podcast, a Zoom meeting this morning with top medical experts saying this is all going to be over by December because everybody's getting sick and or vaccinated. So either way, this will kind of resolve itself by December. And if that truly happens and 2022 is going to be a great year, the sellers might be hesitant to sell now and say, what, I want 2022 numbers or I want 2021 right. numbers. All right. Which also kind of ties us into, we've kind of, we've come up with nine reasons why you would do an earnout. And most of this is like a, why a buyer would do an earnout, but there's also some reasons that tie into why a seller would want to consider it too. So the first one we've, or we've already talked about is that difference in opinion of value. There's a valuation gap where there's some big risk that the buyer doesn't want to assume and, and say like, Hey, I'm definitely going to pay you for this. It's I will pay you, like you said, Andy, if this happens. What's our second reason why out of those nine? Well, our second reason is what's happening out there in the world sometimes is when people are going to sell a business, we often tell them, you have to continue to run your business like there's not a buyer. And so sometimes they're confronted with having to make capital investments. Uh, they have to make a capital investment in new equipment because it breaks down. They have to make major repairs that are going to last for 20 years and be and be uh, amortized over that time or, or depreciated. And the sellers are hesitant to do it. And the buyers who are about to buy say, no, 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 you got to do this. And the seller looks at it and says, well, how do I get paid for that? Right. All right. It's it's a really good reason for a now now or now. <laughs> our third, yeah, our third reason is new customer or contract regulatory approval. So sometimes in, you know, when you're selling a business, the business is still running, right? So if something could be happening in the business where you could be getting a large new customer, large new contract. Um, we see this a lot with our construction clients, and we were dealing with a construction client in Denver who was waiting on a contract from the city of Denver that they've been working on for a year to do the airport project, which is a, a billion dollar project that's going on out in Colorado right now. And the seller's like, wait a second, I just spent two years trying to get this contract. Like, how am I going to get paid on it? Because he did all a lot of the upfront work. So that's a, it's a good reason from a, for an earnout from the sell side. And from the buy side, what might happen is the buyer might use it as a reason for the, the buyer to be picked. Like we said, there's tons of competition for deals. So mm -hmm. a buyer might come to the plate and say, hey, listen, if I buy this business, I'm going to be able to bring all these customers and give you a, a ton of business. And I'll tell you what I'll do. If you let me buy the business, I'll put an earnout provision that if I bring all these customers, you'll get the share in those, in those future earnings. Yeah, it's a nice big carrot. Yeah, it's great. So the fourth reason is sort of tied into that, that the seller wants a piece of the future growth or the buyer is willing to provide some of it. Yep. And we hear this a lot too, right? Is that the sellers put in a lot of process with his procedures, you know, sometimes technology, IP, and they haven't really felt the growth or the impact of it yet. So a lot of times we'll get the question from sellers is like, well, I put in all this legwork for the business. How do I get paid for the future potential or future growth? And that could be a way. Yeah, it, it could be a way. What's another reason? What's the next reason? So pending government legislation, and this is one where you could either, it could either be government legislation that's going to positively affect the business, but it could also protect from the risk side. So another great Colorado example is when cannabis um, first got approved for business, there was still a lot of uncertainty whether or not when Colorado was the only state that could legally sell weed, whether or not that was going to be taken away from a federal standpoint. So it was a big risk for the buyer, right? That if you're looking at a cannabis company or a company that provided services to the cannabis industry, what if that government legislation changed and how do you protect against the downside? So if there is some type of pending government legislation that's going to positively or negatively affect the business, an earnout can solve for that. And we've seen it here in Florida with the infrastructure bill. So we have a paving company for sale and guess what? They're, they're hesitant on selling on a contract they already have in place that if this infrastructure bill goes through, they're going to build a bunch of highways and they're going to get 
contracts. And so the buyers, the buyers saying, listen, still sell it to me. I will sign something that if we get blah, blah, blah contracts or this much contracts, we will pay you more. Right. It makes total sense. So what's number six? Well, a lot of times there is a customer concentration or supplier concentration issue in businesses. And we see this a lot. We had a deal medical supply business and the number one uh, customer was a hospice company, famous hospice company, but a hospice company, 75% of the sales were with one company. So there was competition for the deal, but still the buyer said, hey, you got to protect us for two years on that contract. And that's what we did. Yeah, it's a, it's another good way to solve for a downside risk. We actually have a similar deal, also a medical supply company. So number seven, we've already touched on a little bit, but it's deferred taxes. And this benefits the seller. So when you sell a business, you are going to pay taxes on the sale price, right? And that we are, we're actually working on a capital gains episode too, as a side note. But some of it's going to be capital gains tax. Some of it's going to be ordinary income. And at times, it behooves a seller not to have all of your purchase price or you know the money you receive from the business sale hit in the same tax year because it's going to move your tax bracket up, and it also gives you some time to you know come up with some more innovative ways throughout the deal process. So if you can defer taxes over the course of one, two, three years, um, that helps a lot. Yeah, and so it, it does help a lot. And what can happen then? Uh, uh, number eight, our eighth reason is that the the buyer just doesn't have the money. Something right. happens. We've seen this before in the middle of a deal, all of a sudden a funding source pulls out and or the buyers don't have the cash to close for some strange reason or something happens in due diligence where all of a sudden some risk comes out. And so this is done just purely to reduce the buyer's inlay of cash. Yeah, yeah, we see it a lot, especially if financing's not an option. Um, and then our last reason, and, and this we see this a lot, is it's not always about the money, right? Sometimes it's about keeping the seller engaged in the transition process. You know, especially if a sale, seller is very hands-on and running the company or running um, customer-facing operations or employee operations, and the buyer wants them to stay involved for a period, having some type of earnout that incentivizes them to make sure the transition goes well, make sure year one goes well, maybe make sure year two goes well. Sometimes that's just as important as what, what the purchase price is ultimately to the buyer, right? They want that seller engaged and they want a ideal transition as much as possible, at least. Yeah. I've seen things as silly as they're buying the seller a cell phone and they're going to give the seller a cell phone and they want the seller to pick up the phone if that big client or that big supplier or a dealership has issues, whatever it is, dealership transfer has issues. They want to know that the seller is going to pick up that phone. And, and so to do that, they put in an earnout, give them a cell phone and say, listen, you need to be able to answer this basically almost 24-7. Yeah. And Leanne talks about this too. Sometimes earnouts might not be tied to like a financial metric. It could be tied to something as creative as like, you have to answer that phone, right? Or you don't get yeah, paid. You just yeah. did, you know. We try not to do that. I mean, we really want these earnouts to be clear. They want them to be very specific on how they're doing it. Like we don't like revenues because if if we incentivize the buyer to have less revenues. Uh, that would be bad. So we try to tie it to gross profits. So make sure that the that um, you know if they just say lower their prices or something, they're not doing something to hide um, you know revenues and incentivize them to keep that gross profit. Uh, so that that the you know the the seller says, hey, you're still earning the kind of money that you would earn. Uh, and then we also want to make sure we don't tie it to expenses, of course, because I mean, to EBITDA, because so much could be pushed through in the expenses and the seller has to then try to unwind it or do an audit. So we don't like that either. Yeah, the simpler, the better. And that really is helpful in the earnout structure. So we've kind of introed this. And, and like we said, Deborah and Leanne are going to get into some of the more details. But also, we wanted to talk about the trends in the marketplace. So typically in the past, we've seen earnouts on larger deals. We see earnouts with a lot of private equity buyers. But in today's, um, in today's environment, and we tease this a little bit, 
we're starting to see them on more deals and even some smaller size deals to solve for some of these risks, right, Andy? Yeah, again, when things are getting very competitive on either side, either the buy or sell side, uh, we're seeing more creative things done to try to get cl deals closed and try to get more value for sellers and buyers and, uh, and avoid risk. Obviously, there's a huge portion of risk out there that people are looking at with the coronavirus, perhaps even taxation, uh, perhaps even inflation, all those kind of fears out there that we're trying to, you know, the buyers are trying to manage. At the same time, on the sell side, sellers have choices and they have lots of people out there. So these earnouts can be a great, a great stick to get a deal done, a great tool to get a deal done. Yeah. So here's another tool in your toolbox, right? Whether you're buying or selling, you're looking at deal structure. We've talked about cash. We've talked about bank financing in the past. We've talked about seller financing. Now you've got earnouts too. Yeah, I think, it's a real win-win, right? Yeah. It's a real win-win. It's, it's real win -win. And I said, I said in our interview with Leanne too, we said, you know, the greatest part about earnouts is you can be really creative with this and you can design a win-win situation because it, it's all about figuring out what's going to work for the buyer and the seller and ultimately be best for the company. Yeah. And I, I talked to Deborah and in my conversation with Deborah, we talked about how, how many times are they paid? You know, do they actually go through and pay these? And I brought out an example myself. I bought a, you know, business brokerage and I used contingent notes as the vehicle. We'll talk about that. And I paid both of them and I was happy to do it because again, it was a win-win. We reached our revenue goals, our commission goals, and I paid out. Yeah. So we hope you find this episode interesting. We're trying to keep it basic at that 101 level. Obviously there's a lot more detail that can go into this, but let's get to this episode and our two great interviews. Let's do it. Transworld Business Advisors is the world's largest business brokerage and mergers and acquisitions firm with over 500 brokers in nearly 200 offices worldwide. Transworld's team handles thousands of business sales every year. To be connected with a qualified business broker or learn more about the buying and selling process, visit tworld.com forward slash the deal board or call 888-719-9098. Hey everybody, welcome back to the deal board. And we have a returning guest because she is the best. We have Deborah Carmen of Carmen Law. And she, we're talking about earnouts, and Deborah does so many deals. And she just got done with, with one. Uh, right, Deborah? Yes, I did, Andy. And it was a very interesting deal because there was quite a large earnout involved there. And it really brings to light some of the issues that come about over here with the legalities uh, and how to write the uh, asset purchase agreements to make sure that both buyers and sellers have uh, protected rights. Right. Our subject today is earnouts, And we're talking, you know, we're, we've been talking about the ins and outs, what's usually in an earnout, and why earnouts. But we, def we definitely wanted to talk to Deborah because everybody's afraid of earnouts. Sellers are usually afraid of earnouts because they feel like that they'll never get their money, right? And and buyers want earnouts. Uh, let's talk about why buyer want earnouts because we. I, I just was talking to you before this and we we're talking about a lot of people think it's because that there's a difference in value, that the sellers are trying to get more value than the buyer wants to put at the closing table and are willing to do a what if. but you and I both feel that it might be more of a risk avoidance kind of play. No, I agree with you totally, uh, Andy. And it is a risk avoidance type of play because you see sellers, sellers get very nervous because once they go through with the sale, they want to be done. And a buyer is in a different situation because the buyer says, this is a service industry I'm buying. And without that buy, without that seller being there, what am I really getting into? It's not like I'm selling widgets. So when you get in that situation, you really have to be careful and you really want a committed seller. Best way to commit a seller, have an earnout. Right. So having an earnout is uh is you know, again, is something that you could do to avoid risk in a deal and or lock in the seller, like what just happened in your deal, correct? Correct. And when you lock in the seller, you can do it in a couple of different ways. And, and again, you can do it by 12 months that you can look back. You can do it by uh, 24 months, 36 months. Traditionally, I don't see much more than that. 
because the seller certainly is not going to look to become more involved at that point in time. And what is the seller's biggest worry? The seller's biggest worry is you're going to run the business differently than I am. And what am I going to do here? I'm going to be left with a business that you are taking out employees. You're doing things to cut costs. And I'm supposed to show you I can earn the same amount of money or you're putting more costs in. What am I supposed to do? So that makes it difficult for the attorney because we really have to make sure the language is exactly there as it's supposed to be. Because if I leave one word out, it's up to a court. Right. And that's always not the most efficient way of settling disputes or settling. So you try to write these things up with certain protections for the sellers uh, yes. and certain very clear ways to calculate the earnout. So what have you seen recently? Uh, what I've seen recently is based on gross profit. Of course, it can be based on EBITDA. It can be based on a lot of different other types of metrics, but that's most recently what I've been seeing. Right. So gross profit. We like gross profits because it's probably the the thing that you could play with the least. Obviously, if you're just if if the buyer didn't want to uh, you know make the earnout, they would just you know raise the prices or do things that would bring down sales. Mm -hmm. So gross profit would would lock them in. And so we do like gross profit. Do you think, you know, we've seen a few more earnouts because of COVID crisis, because people are unsure of the future? Is that what you're seeing as well? I, I really do see uh, quite a few more earnouts now because of COVID. And, and I think, unfortunately, I'm going to continue to see them because of the second outbreak we just had. I was hoping for more stability, but I think, unfortunately, we're going to see another whole round over here of people who are unsure of what the future is going to be. And really, that's what an earnout is. The earnout is what is our future. Right. And so let's talk about some of the things. How do you set up an earnout legally? I mean, what do you do? It's in the purchase agreement, perhaps, that they contemplate an earnout based on gross sales and they talk about how much the seller gets. Uh, and how much the buyer would have to pay if a certain metric is hit. But how yeah. do you set that up? We set it up, uh, just as you mentioned over there in the uh, asset purchase agreement, we set it up with certain thresholds being met, with an audit being held, and with certain time periods being listed. Specifically, if I can, which a lot of attorneys don't like, I will do an example. But a lot of the uh, a lot of the buyers' attorneys don't like the examples, and they will cut them out. What they will do is they'll just list specifics over there uh, on the uh, APA, and that really, to me, to me, to do the example at least is a better way that the seller can see what they're going to receive. Yeah, that's a great tip. I like that. I listen. I I want clarity in these documents for the sellers, for the buyers. Everybody understand what's going. So I think an example is a great way to do that. Is there a separate document just for the earnout, or how do you set that up? I've seen separate documents for earnouts. Now, when you go into the larger M and A deals, of course, no one wants a separate document. Everything has to be contained within the APA, or it's just not going to happen. So in smaller deals, uh, you do earn out separately, and I've even papered them with promissory notes. So like a promissory note, and I I did this when I've bought some business brokerages. I had uh, I bought a business brokerage once upon a time, and I had two promissory notes. Uh, and you, funny you say uh, you don't see things for much more than two years. So this was a two-year promissory note. If they right. hit a certain amount of uh, commissions in the first year. I would give them this promissory note. Otherwise, it went away. If they hit a, if we hit another threshold of commissions in the second, uh, in the second year, the promissory note uh, would, you know, come into play and/or go away if it was too low. Now, the good news for the seller, and maybe the bad news for me as the buyer was, and I think it was good news for me too. We hit both thresholds, and the Perfect. and the, and the buyer got paid. I mean, it's the seller got paid. Right. It's a Andy, you can't yeah. beat that at all. And that's what people do when they have the promissory notes, they adjust them. And they're basically just adjustable promissory notes. It's the easiest way I know, in a, at least in a smaller deal, to do this. Right. And we just adjust what it's going to be. Start out right. with something not because you know, normally in a business, um, particularly if a lot of the earnout is going to be there and it's not going to be where there's a lot of down payment then you have to be very careful what you do with a promissory note because at least the, uh, the seller is going to receive something. 
Right. So somewhere in that threshold, they're going to receive X, and you have to just make that determination in the note, and it's easier to do it that way. When you do it a large M&A, you know, you're not looking at some, you know, they're not going to look for all their money to be tied up in an earn out. Uh, it's just going to be, quote unquote, I guess, in a way, a bonus. Right. A bonus, uh, you know, again, just assuring. And like you said, they want to see the seller stick around, right? For the most right. part, they're looking yeah. for that transfer of, of goodwill. Right. Exactly. That's what they're looking for. And, and of course, you know, we, we have interesting sellers because some of our sellers back away from this concept, just like they back away when they sell the business and do a non-compete and say, well, gee, now I'm out of a livelihood. So you get those type of sellers, you know, at all ends and you just have to watch what you do over there to protect their interests, but also make it fair. And right. that's what and, really this is all about. Yeah. And in protecting their interest, what do you see? Uh, usually the buyers have to pay on an annual basis. It's usually done at the end of a year, quarterly. What's what's kind of what uh, you've seen? In, in a smaller business, if you're going to take it as a note, of course, it's a different situation. If you take it in an M&A, it's usually a one year look back. One year look back. Yeah. And at that point, you're going to do the adjustment. You're going to do an audit, you know, if you need an audit. But at that point, you'll be able to see the seller be able to see what happened with the accounting. They'll be able to see how things are done. And the unfortunate part is if you don't do it correctly, these are litigation magnets. Right. Right. Which we we don't want. But and what control does the seller have over the organization post closing usually? Uh, the seller doesn't have a lot of control. That's why, I, that's why I was asking. I just yeah. wanted to clarify that. For the all, seller those sellers who think, yeah. all those sellers who think they're going to be able to control it, they probably are not. Good, good luck. Okay, that's why we're very careful to write the parameters, because if you put down there, you can't hire 16 more employees, or you can't do these other territories, or you can't start putting in other places that you're doing business. At that point, at least you can control some of it but you really can't control how they're going to run the business. Now, if you do a consulting agreement and attach that, then you're in a better situation because they're there for that year. Right. And we've seen that. We've seen yeah. mm -hmm. that consulting agreements are oftentimes tied at the same time length of a earnout because right. the sellers do want to be able to, especially in the, in the, it, when there's a customer concentration issue, say, uh, where there or there's a, a concentration on supply issue where the buyer feels if th that one customer goes away or that one supplier goes away, they're no longer going to have a business. Right. So right. the seller is going to want to make sure that they can stick around to make sure that customer is treated fairly or that vendor is paid on time. Or exactly. Kind of exactly. And, you know, when you think about it, Andy, it's not much different than when you do a regular seller note. When the seller stays there at the business, you always see a little bit higher performance. When the seller leaves the business, the performance may not be as high, depending upon what kind of business they're buying. Right, right. And uh, so uh, what about the success of these seller earnouts? Do you see a lot of them go bad? Do you see, you know, for the most part, what, what do you see? For the most part, I do not see them go badly. Okay, I see them go badly when the business had problems to begin with. Right. And that's why the buyer did it this way. And the buyer knew and the seller did not continue to perform, didn't do anything. And at that point, everything falls apart. Uh, but if you have a committed seller and that buyer has done his homework, there'll be a win-win. Yeah. I, you know, the two or three deals that I've personally been involved with where there were some earnouts, uh, they've all been paid. I mean, so it, 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 it did exactly what, they're designed to do was make the buyer feel better about buying the business and the seller giving assurances that the businesses were going to continue, right? And you know what's kind of nice too is you think about for a buyer's buyer's perspective, they don't have to put as much cash down on the table. Right. right. So in essence, they're taking that money, they're building the business with it. They know they have to pay it within a year, but they have that ability. They're not taking a note payment and making you know monthly payments on it. Right. So any other legalities that you see in these documents, is there is there is sometimes they write up things that the buyer has to do certain things yes. to, to perform? Well, let's take a simple one. Let's take pool routes. Okay. okay. So, so you know what the buyer has to do to perform over there. You know, they have to be on there. They have to have the same level of service. They have to do uh, the same concentration. 
uh, everything has to be replaced over there. If they have a problem with a, with, a, with a customer, they have to replace that customer. There's all kinds of parameters you can put in place to something simple like that. It becomes a little bit more difficult as the business grows bigger. Yeah. And, so, so again, in that case, the seller, I've seen that happen. Great, great, uh, great example, because I've seen that where sellers selling a whole bunch of pool, pool customers to another yeah. pool company and has the, and staying in business, like they're a, say they're a contractor and they had pool routes. We saw that. And I think one of the deals that we're talking about and the contractor was selling off their pool routes. Well, the nice right. thing about it is the contractor is going to still be building pools. So right. they, the seller had an, you know, the, the buyer wanted an earn, a, a, an earn out provision that if they lost the pool customers, that the seller had to replace them. And right. the seller was like, okay, you know, right. Right. give me that ability. I'll replace any pools that you lose. And then that's, and that's actually a win-win for everybody. And that works out, you know, really nicely there. It's just a, another example of how you can do this, not just in a situation where the business performs, but also if you lose accounts. Right. And, and, and I've seen that with customer concentration issues that the seller has the ability to come in or is notified of a potential problem and they have the ability to come in to right. try to save the customer and or right. the vendor. So uh, and, and that gets a little dicey legally because did they put enough effort in? You know, there, there's a is there basically a fiduciary duty over here, implied good faith. Okay, so there is implied good faith, but are they really going and doing it? Or are they not doing it? This is what causes some of the disputes when we talk about accounts being lost. Right. You know, they're putting that attention really towards there. You're going to go to that customer. You're going to get an affidavit. Now everybody's up in arms. And what's really going to go on with that business? Now you're involving your customers. So, so that's where it becomes a little bit more dicey. And I'd say if really the buyer and seller work together, none of this would occur. Right. And, and uh, obviously we, we create legal documents for yes. kind of the rules of engagement. It certainly doesn't tell people that every little thing that happens, they're going to have to continue to cooperate. It's kind of just like guidelines exactly. that everybody needs to. Exactly. And, and we certainly don't want to see things uh, devolve to a legal argument. Uh, we have gotten involved uh, post-closing to help people negotiate certain things. And we're always here for people as well. And I know you are as well. We yes. always try to jump yes. in and say, get everybody, you know, calm down here. But that doesn't happen too often. And these earnouts yeah. are a very effective tool of trying to mitigate risk. And listen, isn't the world a bunch of risk right now? The world is a bunch of risk, and uh, and I, I think there was a Mark Twain one that said over here, he, he quoted that uh, it's difficult to make predictions, particularly about the future. Right. So, and I, I think in this kind of world, and I know that uh, I've been doing this 38 years, I've never seen a world like this. We've been through the recession, we've been through everything over here, but we've never seen anything turn on you know the, the physical problems, the, what's going on with the virus and how it's affected really every industry, everything here, period. Uh, I don't think we've ever come across anything like this. At least yeah, I know for, I haven't. And for good and bad, right? So we've right. seen some businesses soar because yes. of the pandemic and their yes. ability to sell more products or be able to do more cleaning, say like the janitorial business. Mm -hmm. And we've seen fortunes reverse in the uh, hotel business and in the restaurant business, uh, where their biggest problem is getting help to handle right. all the customers or supplies right. to be able to, you know, feed all the people because they can't get certain products anymore right now. So we've seen all the supply chain issues. So all those things, earnouts can be very helpful. Uh, I'll give you a few. Uh, minutes to give any parting advice to people who are considering an earnout. Thank you, Eddie. Uh, the parting advice I would give is to make sure that everything is written as clearly as possible, because that's where disputes happen. As soon as you can find a loophole, and that's what attorneys are paid to do, they're paid to find loopholes in an agreement, then at that time, all bets are off, and it's just going to become litigation uh, city. So you really try to keep away from that. You try to make it as explicit as possible. And you try to keep that spirit of cooperation going. Um, I know that, that we all think the same way. When I have an unhappy client, you know, and an unhappy buyer and unhappy seller, uh, what I do is I just blame everything on the attorneys and let them try to work everything out. So when they close, 
everything is smooth. Because if you don't have something at that point when you close between a buyer and a seller, it's just going to progressively get worse. And that's that's really what happens over here. We got to keep that that uh, honeymoon stage going for a long time with them. Right. Well, that's that's great advice. And I know that's what you do. <laughs> yeah. No, you know, that's why we're there as brokers to try to mm-hmm. mitigate any misunderstandings and try to get deals to the closing table. And uh, and that is at Deborah's office. If you want more information and talk more to Deborah about the legalities after 38 years of doing deals, she's got a few tips for you. Deborah, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Thank you, Andy. The best way is to give me a call at 561-392-7031. We look forward to uh, to speaking with you and seeing if we can assist you. And thank you again for having me on. Thanks, Deb. Always a pleasure. Hey, Andy, do you know what time it is? It's time for our deal of the week. Deal of the week. Sold. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It is deal of the week. And we have Rupesh Berard, a returning guest from Transworld Business Advisors of Richmond. Rupesh, welcome back. You just did a nice deal. Tell us a little bit about it. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Jessica. I think this is uh, 2021 picked up really, really well. We are seeing so many buyers out there. They are making really good deals, especially deal. I want to talk about a roofing company in uh, Northern Virginia, we have listed and uh, we were able to sell at full price. It was about $2.5 million deal and another million dollars for the real estate. And uh, right now, funding has been very easy, closing very smooth. That's great, that's great. So tell us a little bit about the buyer, like who is looking for this type of deal? So right now there are so many strategic buyers out there. There are so many new buyers out there, especially we encourage them using the SBA program and as well as the new buyer incentives, um, closing, uh, providing them three months of uh, interest and payment, as well as waiving the SBFEs. So strategic, as well as the new buyers, we have seen both. Sounds like a great deal. What was the multiple on it? It was like, you know, a little close to like three multiple. And uh, we originally expected around 2.75, but because of Transworld, we were able to compete a couple of buyers and get the best deal for the seller. Another good deal for good people. Great point too, Rupesh. Always creating competition amongst buyer is gonna, buyers is going to raise that purchase price, right? Absolutely. Yeah, and construction's hot. I mean, yes. we're, we're. I think it's the second biggest uh, industry we're selling right now. So, absolutely. So, Rupesh, if someone wants to get in touch with you about this deal or maybe other potential deals in Virginia, how can they reach you? So they can uh, uh, reach at us directly, um, Rupesh at tworld.com. They can uh, directly call us at 804-399-0870 or our website tworld.com slash rva. Thanks for being with us, Rupesh. Always happy to have you on. Thank you so much. Hi, welcome back, everybody. And this week on The Deal Board, like you've heard in our intro, we're focusing on earnouts and what exactly is an earnout. So joining us today is one of our experts from our team. Leanne is the vice president of our Transworld M&A division headquartered out of Florida. Leanne, welcome so much to the show and thank you for joining us and sharing your expertise. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be with you guys today. Yeah. So we're talking to our audience. We're doing Earnouts 101. So let's just start by, let's define what is an earnout. So an earnout is a contractual provision between the buyer and the seller where at least some portion of the purchase price is going to come after close based on deliverables met, either earnings revenue earnings, revenue, sometimes it's an operational milestone, but the idea is that not all of the purchase price is coming at close. Some piece of it is coming after the close based on mutually agreed to, uh, you know, timeframes and deliverables. Okay. So it's kind of like a a version of seller financing, right? As a buyer, I don't have to come up with the cash all at once, right? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, you know, I would say that probably the difference between the earnout and the seller financing is that the risk is being shifted to the seller, right? So, you know, the typical scenario here, you know, so why, 
why does someone, why do buyers and sellers use an earnout, right? So right. high level, the, the issue is that there is not agreement on price, right? So, you know, the seller wants a certain amount, the buyer wants a certain amount, and, you know, they're trying to get to some agreement. And an earnout is a tool that you can use to bridge that valuation gap and get a deal across the finish line. And, you know, there's benefits potential benefits when it's done correctly to the buyer and the seller. So that's why someone uses an earnout. Um, and, you know, the, the, the main issue, or, you know, like I said, the, the difference between, um, you know, the seller financing and the earnout is the seller financing, you know, the, the risk is still on the buyer for the most part, um, because it's a predefined uh, value and you know payout metric that isn't going to change. On the earnout side, the risk is being shifted to the seller in exchange for the seller getting the purchase price that they want, the total purchase mm. price that they want. They are willing to assume some of the risk that is going to come uh, over the next couple years. So they're assuming the operational risk in return for getting the purchase price that they want. Mm, I love how you phrase that, right? Because, well, one, you talked about a couple of things there. One is it, it can solve a valuation gap, right? The seller, at me as a seller, I think my business is worth $5 million, right? The buyer's like, it's worth $3 million. So we can come to an agreement with that gap, sometimes with an earnout, right? Exactly. Yeah. But I also, you picked up something very important too, is it does shift some risk to the seller. So it's kind of like, prove it to me. So you think the business is worth $5 million. How how do you how did you come up with that? Prove that to me a little bit as the buyer. Right, exactly. And I mean, that's I mean, we've we've been there before. Um, you know, and the thing with an earnout is it's such a good tool for you know a business broker or an MA advisor to be able to bring to the transaction, right? Because you know, when you have that gap between buyer and seller, a lot of times your first inclination is to, well, let's just meet in the middle. And sometimes, you know, you're outside of that zone and there isn't a meeting in the middle. And so to have another, you know, tool in your toolbox that you can use to bridge that gap and, you know, you know, make a transaction happen. Uh, this is a very valuable tool. Um, and, you know, they're, you know, clearly from the, the buyer side, right? So, so, how is this benefit? How does it benefit the buyer and the seller, right? right? So why do people do it, right? So clearly from the seller side, you have a price in mind. You have an idea of what your future cash flows are going to be, and you want to get all of that value. But of course, there is some uncertainty with those future cash flows, right? I mean, just operationally, but look at what's happened in the last couple of years with right. Corona, right? I mean, yeah. there's uncertainty with your future cash flows. Um, so buyers are assessing the future cash flows. And when that doesn't meet, um, especially if you're a broker representing the seller, what you're trying to do is you're trying to get every bit of value for them, right? You don't want to leave any chips on the table. So when you're able to structure an earnout that works for everyone, clearly from the seller's perspective, they are going to be able to get value for their future cash flows that you know are relatively uncertain. And like I said before, they're assuming some of the risk for it. Right. From the buyer's perspective, it's a there's many benefits, right? It's a clear win for them. Right. Yes, they are agreeing to pay, you know some future value uh, for the for the cash flows, but they essentially are able to transfer the risk of those future cash flows to the seller. Um, you know, so that's obviously a, a clear benefit to them. But um, you know, so there's there's benefits that so you have the potential if you structure it right for it to be win-win. Right? right. Right. So and and that's why you do it. The downside is that now you have created a situation that has the potential to, you know, the main, the main problem with crafting these things and the reason why so often, you know, sellers really don't want to do it and even buyers really don't want to do it is because now the key to it being successful is aligning incentives. 
right? So you've right. got to make sure that the way you are structuring this is aligning the incentives of the buyer to the incentives of the seller. And that's where the devil is in the details and why so often you might have a conversation and you might start going down the path of structuring an earn out. But when it's all said and done, when you really get into it, you know, very often sellers are like, oh, yeah. you know, probably let's let's try to meet in the middle because you know it's it, it can be really tough to structure it in a way that um that really works for everyone. And you know, let me let me ask. Yeah, no, I was gonna say because like it was funny you were just talking about that, and and the the question I get from sellers a lot the most popular one is like, okay, so this sounds great. I can get a bigger valuation. The buyers are on board with it. Right. But the question, the sellers always come back with, well, what happens if it doesn't happen? I I don't get paid. Right. Right. The biggest fear. Right. And that's, is that the biggest risk for the seller side? Well, exactly. I mean, so on, so the seller really is assuming the risk here. I mean, from the buyer's perspective, once they've gone down the path of getting uh, an earnout, the the buyer's risk is relatively minimal. I mean, one, they need to make sure that if they're structuring it in a way that you know they don't they haven't misaligned incentives to have the seller out, you know, performing in a way that isn't you know producing for the bottom line, but provided, and and we can talk about, you know, how do you make those structures? So it is, it aligns the buyer and the seller. Um, And, you know, the, the other risk on, on the buyer side is just the noise and the distraction to management that comes along with some of these earnouts, right? Cause it can get a little bit, you know, litigious, you know, when you're talking about, did we meet the goals, you know, so there can be a little bit of distraction there, but, you know, from the buyer's perspective, you know, as long as they're aligning the incentives and trying to, you know, minimize the distraction to management, they're, once they get this earn out in place, they're in, they're in a good uh, position. The risk falls to the seller, right? So, I mean, the biggest risk obviously is in the majority of these situations, um, you know, the seller has sold a majority stake in the company. Right. So they're no longer the decision maker, right? right? So if you've set up a situation where you're supposed to get paid, you know, some amount at 12 months, if certain revenue targets are hit, let's say, right. um, and let's say another target at 24 months, if certain revenue targets are hit. The problem is that you're not in complete control of whether you hit those revenue targets, right? And you're, to be honest, you're not even con- in control of whether the company remains solvent. You know, the buyer True. is yep. making, so, so let's talk, I mean, that's the highest risk. The highest risk is the, you know, the buyer makes some poor decisions and the company isn't even solvent. So now yeah. you are just in line with a whole bunch of other creditors, right? So, right. so how do you mitigate that? The number one thing, most important, um, if any seller or buyer is even considering an earnout, it's so important that you have a qualified, experienced M&A attorney. Right. Experience with these earnouts because, you know, things things will go south if you don't have these structured and the incentives aligned contractually by lawyers who really know what they're doing. So yeah, I totally agree. We've talked a lot about on the show, like, look, you know, we're business brokers and M&A advisors, and, and we think that brokers and, and advisors should be involved in every deal, but a critical piece, especially with earnouts, is attorneys, right? Because if you don't paper this correctly, if you're not in agreement, um, it's it's just there's a, a big open can of worms yeah. that, as a seller that you're not getting anything out of that deal. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So let's let's look at the highest level of risk, right? Like yeah. the buyer comes out and just runs your business into the ground, right? So make sure you have a buyback provision in there, right? Make sure that you're not just in line with 15 other creditors, that you have some, you know, ability to, you know, try to buy back, right? Right. Um Okay, so then the next level of risk is okay. You have created a uh, an earnout structure where, um, you know, you have certain you as the seller have certain goals that you're supposed to meet, but you're not in complete control of that. So you want to have as much control as possible 
over the performance measures that right. you are going to be measured against, right? So tip, what are what are those typically? You know, typically what you're going to see um, on the financial side, so what kind of financial measures? Typically right. you're seeing revenue measures right. and you're seeing EBITDA measures, right? And there's right. pros and cons to both of those, right? So right. obviously from a seller's perspective, right? If you no longer have control over the operating expenses of your business, you really don't want to go with a measure that is EBITDA because you have no control over those expenses and the chance of you, you know, being able to meet those goals is going to be very, very tough. Um, yeah. So from a, from a seller's perspective, you want to have ideally revenue measures, right? Because you have right. a little bit more control of that. But again, you you still, I mean, there still needs to be some guarantees in place that the buyer is doing at least a minimum amount to assist you in those revenue projections, right? So okay. um, things that you would might want to put into the contractual arrangement are, you know, guarantees on marketing spend, right? Mm, so like yep. if they just come and cut the marketing budget, how are you going to meet your, yeah. your revenue goals? Or like fire the sales team, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. There, you know, if you, if there's a key person who leaves, you know, the buyer might not want to replace that big salary, but if you, if there's, you know, six months of a key person not being there, that's going to make it really difficult. So the way you mitigate that risk as a seller, let's say you, you are able to get a revenue-based, you know, performance metric. Just think through what are the things that need to be in place on the operating side that you no longer are going to have control of once the, you know, post-transaction and just make sure that those are in the agreement so that, you know, those things are in place and they give you every possibility of meeting, you know, the, the goals that you're, you're trying to achieve. There's so much good stuff in there, Leanne, because like, yeah, we talk to a lot of clients and I always say like, hey, as a seller, the further up the P&L, the earnouts tied to the more control you have, right? But I love how you also said, hey, let's take a look at the operations side. You've been running this business, right? Sometimes for 5, 10, 40 years, right? Yeah. You know what needs to happen to generate that revenue. So putting in those contracts, like, hey, you have to spend X percentage or X dollars on marketing. You have to have a sales team, right? Because a buyer really could come in and change the operations to affect the revenue as well. We think a lot about EBITDA because you lose control of operating expenses usually when right. you sell. But you could, yeah, you could also, uh, you know, like an unsavory buyer or maybe just an uninformed buyer can make some key yeah. operational decisions that that drive the revenue down as well. Right, exactly. So, you know, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, you know, revenue or EBITDA. And I like that you mentioned that there are other options in there. You know, you just move yeah. it up the income statement a little bit, right? right? So gross profit is a nice, is a nice medium, right? So there's yeah. less operating expenses that come into play. Um, you know, it's a lot easier to define in the working agreement, uh, you know, what expenses are going to go into the cost of goods sold or the, you know, the cost of service. And so that's a, something easier to manage. So if you can't, if you can't get it to be revenue based, you know, if you can get it to be cost of margin, cost of goods sold, um, and the gross margin, you know, that's going to be preferable to to EBITDA, which you know, really makes it tough to. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, you mentioned earlier we were talking about like obviously things have changed a lot in the last um, what are we saying like probably month eighteen right now in the pandemic, right? And there's been a lot of movement in businesses. Some revenues have dropped. Some profits have dropped. Have you seen more earnouts in the last 18 months to solve these valuation gaps? Or has it stayed pretty steady? Yeah, no. I mean, I feel that, you know, earnouts now are are becoming pretty standard. I mean, I think the metric as of, you know, a couple of years ago was something like 30% of private M&A transactions, you know, implemented uh, an earnout provision. I would say now that that number is closer to 50 to 75%. And, you know, I mean, for several reasons, one, it's a seller's market. And, you know, these guys want 
and these ladies, these business owners want to get every, you know, every bit of value for the lifetime of, of effort that they've put into this business. And for something like COVID to come and just, you know, wipe out, you know, what they have, what they have worked so hard for, um, you know, the earnout is the perfect solution to yeah. to that problem. Um, you know, it's it's a it's not a meet in the middle. You know, some of these some of these businesses have taken such a hit on the revenue side that you know the fair thing to do and what we need to be doing to help our sellers get the fairest value is to say, look, let's let's tackle let's tack back to what things look like prior to COVID. And let's make the argument for why when we get out of this, you're, we're going to be right back on track and let's try to get you that value. And, you know, it's important for us as advisors to help them understand, look, you're probably not going to get this value at close, right? Because there's right. just too much risk. There's right. too much uncertainty regarding free cash flows over the next couple of years. So it's unlikely that you're going to get that value at close, but we can make the argument and we can help structure something so that uh, you are able to get that value. And the structure of that is an earn out. Yeah, that's a perfect way to wrap us up. I think this conversation has been fantastic. I hope, you know, sellers that are sitting out there or even some buyers and some brokers understand earnouts more, but I couldn't agree with you more, Leanne. I think there's pros and cons to earnouts, but right now where we're sitting in the marketplace, there, there's a lot of a lot more pros and there's a lot of creativity. I think the one thing I want to leave our listeners with is that yes, we laid out some of the basics of an earnout, we threw out some basic structures, but I think the best and hardest part about an earnout is you can structure it any really way that works for the buyer and the seller. So the creativity is key, having great advisors, um, your broker, your advisor, and a great business attorney, like we mentioned too. <laughs> are very key in making these work. Leanne, thank you yeah. so much for coming on the show. Hey, if anyone has a follow-up question or wants to get in touch with you, how can they reach you best? Right. Uh, you can reach me on my email. It's Lerwin, L-E-R-W-I-N at transworldma.com. And I'd love to hear from you. Awesome. And we'll drop that into the show notes as well. Leanne, thank you so much for joining us on the deal board today. Thank It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, Jessica, you know what time it is? Money time? Almost. It's time for Listing of the Week. All right. Welcome back, everybody. For our Deal of the Week this week, we have Patrick Bombardier from our Transworld Colorado office. And Patrick, thanks for joining the show again. We've got a really interesting listing to share with us today. That's right. Thanks, Jessica. Thanks for having me. We do have a really uh, great listing uh, here in Colorado. It's a, it's a regional industrial and commercial tire and service business, um, one of the largest in the region. Um, it's a business that specializes in heavy duty equipment. This is farm, mining, construction equipment of all types. They do a lot of on-site work, mobile work for these you know, huge vehicles and, and they're very high volume business. Um, they've been in business 21 years. Um, the business is for sale and the real estate is also for sale. Uh, if a buyer desires, um, though it could also be worked out for a lease as well. Um, there's 18 employees that have been there, uh, trusted long-term employees that are expected to stay. Um, and the owner is a, a husband and wife that are looking to retire and move on to their, their next chapter. So this is an exciting one that I think a lot of people are going to be interested in. Wow. Sounds like a great business, great longevity. Real estate's always nice too, as an additional um, investment if somebody wants that. So tell us a little bit about the numbers, Patrick. What's it listed for sale? What does its earnings look like? Mm-hmm. So their all-time highest sales came in 2019 at about 7, about 7.3 million. Um, in 2020, some of the industries that they work with had some slowdowns and shutdowns, and so they saw their sales go down to about 6.2. But their profitability stayed, you know, really very impressive. And in 2021, things are really moving uh, back uh, towards their their high levels from 2019. Um, the EBITDA uh, on this business on an average between 2018, 2019, and 2020 is about 550000 um, There's some inventory that's involved there as, as well. Actually, there's some high-end inventory that is um, uh, the business has uh, will be an additional addition to the sale price. Um, and then also, of course, the real estate. 
The sale price on the uh, business is $3.7 million. Um, and the asking price on the real estate is 2.2 million at this point. Obviously, you know, we would listen, welcome to listen to anybody who would like to take a look at those numbers and, and talk about that valuation. Wow. Actually, very good valuation, very consistent. We know, you know, revenue is vanity, profit sanity. So as long as their profit numbers stay consistent through the pandemic. Who cares about the revenue, right? right. <laughs> but, but strong, even at 550000 that's a nice, sizable deal. Good cash flow for a buyer. If someone's listening to the show right now, wants to learn more about this business, how do they get in touch with you? Best way to reach me is a couple of ways. You certainly could uh, reach out with a phone call. My number is 303-929-9219, 303-929-9219, or email me at patrick at tworld.com. Patrick awesome. at tworld.com. And we'll drop those into the show notes too. And um, that'll be on our website, thedealboardpodcast.com. Patrick, thank you so much for joining us for this listing. And we hope to find you some buyers and we hope to have you back again soon. Great. Thanks, Jessica. Thanks for tuning into the show today. If you like the podcast, share it with your friends on social media. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting app. If you have questions, would like to appear or have suggestions for topics for the show, get in contact with us through our website, thedealboardpodcast.com.